Well, by the time we get to Genesis 25, Sarah has now passed away. Abraham's pretty old, but Isaac, the promised son, has a great wife, a faithful wife, a woman who's a lot like Abraham, a woman named Rebecca, who's left everything to follow out after the promise of God. She's together with Isaac, and we know it's about time for all the focus to start to go on to them. So we come into Genesis chapter 25, and, and what happens right away is something some of us might not be that familiar with. Abraham actually takes another wife after Sarah named Keturah. God blesses him, gives him many uh, more sons in his old age. But it's always Isaac that Abraham loves. And it, even in verse 5, says that Abraham gave to Isaac all that he had. But then we get to chapter 25, verse 7. Now these are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. 175 years old, Abraham dies. But think of that. A hundred years he followed the Lord in faith. When he was 75, he left everything behind, trusting God's promise. For a hundred years, he journeys in faith. But even in the end of his life, it's interesting that he, he really does not get all that he was promised. He dies in faith, still waiting to receive the fullness of God's promises. But he dies a good death. Verse 8, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael come together to honor him in his burial. They bury him next to his wife Sarah, that he loved uh, in that one field that he owned, that one field in the land of Canaan that he was able to, to purchase. Abraham and Sarah are buried, and now we're ready to move on in the story. So now surprisingly, in the book of Genesis, we come to verse 12 and we find this phrase. Now these are the generations of. Anytime you see that phrase, pay attention to it because that's the marker that things are about to move on in the story. We're gonna continue our search for offspring. But notice verse 12 says, now these are the generations of Ishmael. Now we already know as readers that this line is not going to go anywhere. This is going to be a dead end. But yet we trace them because Ishmael is Abraham's offspring. We trace that line for a little while, but then it doesn't really go anywhere. So we come back to Genesis 25 verse 19. Now these are the generations of Isaac. This is the line of promise. This is where we need to look to the line of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. Now look at verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Well, that sounds good, but, but why? What, what did he pray about? Why was he praying to the Lord for Rebekah? See what it says? Because she was barren. She couldn't have any children. Again, this brings us back to Genesis 3. We think of the hope of the world is in offspring, but it will be through great trouble and affliction and pain that women are able to bring forth offspring. And so then we trace the story down to Abram and Sarai. And Sarah was barren, unable to have children, so God had to miraculously intervene. And now we go one step further down the line, and Isaac is married to a woman of faith. But again, 
She's barren, unable to have offspring. So Isaac rightly turns to the Lord in prayer and prays for his wife. And what happens? Look at verse 21. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. God hears and answers the prayer of Isaac. As she is now pregnant, uh, beginning to grow, strange things start happening inside her womb. She starts feeling all kinds of struggling and fighting. It's like, because there's actually twins in the womb. They are fighting each other. There's conflict. And we're kind of like hearing Genesis 3, you know, with all of this conflict and fighting between offspring. This is happening in her own womb. And so Rebecca turns to the Lord and she says, Lord, what, what is going on? What's happening to me? And the Lord answers. And I want us to pay attention because the Lord is going to say specific things about what he's going to do with those boys in the womb. They're still in the womb. We don't know their names. They haven't done anything. We don't know them. But verse 23, this is what the Lord says to Rebecca. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And do you hear that? God has decided before these boys are ever born, before we even know their names, God has decided the older is going to serve the younger. God's blessing will be with the younger. This will go against all of the cultural customs and expectations that the firstborn would be the one who receives the blessing and has the power and the preeminence. No, God says, I get to pick and it will be the younger. The older will serve the younger. Well, verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And then you got to kind of listen carefully, maybe picture this. Well, maybe picture it. Uh, but the first came out red. All his body, like a hairy cloak, like a furry coat, this boy comes out all red and hairy. Now, my kids, whenever they came out, they were all no hair. No hair till they're like one. So this would be like shocking, right? Hairy baby comes out. And then what's even more shocking is verse 26. So they named the first one Esau and then verse 26. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. I mean, they've been fighting in the womb and Esau comes out first and then they find the foot. And Jacob is hanging on to the heel. That's, at least that's what they're going to call him. They're going to call the second Jacob, which means something like uh, he grabs at the heel or he's a cheater is maybe going to be the idea. And you think, boy, these two are destined for some serious conflict once they actually get conscious, right? But notice the last part of verse 26. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, I just want to, I want to comment on that for our encouragement. Because sometimes we read stories like this in the Bible and we're like, wow, okay, so uh, Isaac had a barren wife. So he prayed and the Lord answered the prayer and she got pregnant. But do you notice, he was 40 years old when they got married and he prayed. And, 
And we don't know how many times, but probably over the course of 20 years, Isaac went to the Lord and prayed, and they waited for 20 years. And then God gave them offspring. God doesn't work on our timetables. Verse 27, the boys are getting old, and we got to learn some more about these guys. So when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. You know, a man's kind of man. Harry, probably a big beard, a hunter, man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents with mama. Well, 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, his food that he could hunt. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now we know God has already decreed to bless Jacob, but Esau is loved by Isaac, and it's Jacob who's loved by Rebekah. And did you notice, because you've got to pay attention to whatever the storyteller wants to tell you, the storyteller tells us why Isaac loves Esau. And we might read it and be like, there's no way, that's not the reason. But this is what he says. Isaac loved Esau, why? Because he ate of his game. Isaac loved the food that Esau could get for him. So he loved him. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So we move on and we're going to find another story about how these guys start to interact with each other. There was this time, verse 29, when Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau came on from the field. He was all exhausted. He says, let me eat some of that red stew. Or else, because uh, uh, I'm so exhausted. He says, let me eat some of that red stew. That's why he gets the name Edom, which has to do with red. And Jacob said, all right, sell me your birthright and I'll give it to you. Give me the honor of being the firstborn and getting the the." the best things and the power. He says, I'll give it to you. Esau says, well, I'm about to die. So what good's a birthright to me anyway? But Jacob says, no, I want you to swear to me. And so Esau swears and sells the birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. And, I, and Jacob, he brings it over probably with a big smile on his face, says, eat up, brother. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We learn a lot about those two guys. One, we learn Jacob's name is given to him for good reason. <laughs> that guy is a deceiver. But Esau, we also learn a lot about him. That guy is the epitome of someone who's willing to trade and sacrifice the future for immediate pleasure. Fleshly gratification right now. He gives up the future for it. Now we come to chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land. Not the first time or the last time there's going to be famines because this as well is a fulfillment of the curse, right? There's conflict between man and the land. It's hard to get the food you need even to live. And so Isaac's probably thinking maybe we'll go down to Egypt. That's what my dad did when there was a famine. But God then appears to Isaac and says, look, Isaac, do not go down to Egypt like your father did. Stay in this land. And God then reaffirms his promises to Isaac. The same promises that God had made to Abraham, God reaffirms them now to Isaac and to Isaac's offspring that God will be with him. Stay in the land. Then we read another story. 
In the heading of my Bible, it says it's about Isaac and Abimelech. Now, maybe you hear Abimelech and think, I think we just heard about him. Wasn't there a story about Abraham and Abimelech? Yeah, because Abimelech is probably like a name, a title that gets passed down. And remember what happened with Abraham and Abimelech? It wasn't a pretty story. It was one of those times when Abraham and Sarah had their foolish plan, you know. Hey, Sarah, you're, you know, you're so good looking. They're going to hurt me to get to you. So you need to act like my, my sister. Tell them you're my sister. And uh, so that everything goes well with us. That happened in Genesis, what is it, 20, I think, with a guy named Abimelech. Well, Isaac and Rebekah apparently pick up some things from uh, mom and, and dad. And, and they come up with the same plan. Isaac's like, Rebecca, you're so beautiful. They're going to hurt me to get to you. So I want to use you as a shield for me. And so with Abimelech, they kind of do the whole lying thing. God has to deliver them and rescue them from this situation. And again, we're realizing, you know what? All of the characters of the Bible so far have their flaws, their failures, their lapses of faith. But by the time we get to the end of chapter 26, the the storyteller tells us something specific about Esau. And you have to look at verse 34. Esau is now 40 years old. So I I suppose that would make Isaac uh, about 100, right? Since he was 40, or he was 60 when they had the children. So Esau is 40 years old. And if you read those verses, it says that Esau took two wives, but not just two wives. He took two wives from the Canaanite people, from the Hittites who were in the land of Canaan. And that gets us to to think of what? Well, Abraham. Remember how, how much of an emphasis... Abraham put on getting the right kind of wife for his son, for the son of promise. He did not want Isaac under any circumstances to marry someone from within the land of Canaan. That's why he sent his servant all the way out to eventually find Rebekah, who turned out to be a great woman of faith for for his son, for Isaac. But here Esau is intentionally going against that sort of plan, taking two wives from the Canaanite people. And you look at the very last verse of chapter 26. It says, And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And then by chapter 27, Isaac's already almost on his deathbed. He's about to, I mean, he's a really old man. Look at chapter 27. We're going to now find the climactic moment of Isaac's life that happens shortly before his death. Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Now, always pay attention to physical descriptions in the Bible. We think about this all the time, physical appearances, but the Bible rarely talks about this, unless it's for a reason. Isaac's old. His eyes are really dim so they can't see very well. So he calls Esau, his older son, and says to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. So, son, take your weapons out, your quiver, your bow. Go out to the field and hunt for me. Hunt game for me. Now, remember that? Esau loved, or Jacob, no, no. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Remember that? Introduced in chapter 25. Now, 27. Isaac is old. says, Esau, I want you to go out and I want you to hunt. I don't know when I'm going to die. I want some more of the game. Go get it for me. Verse 4, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. Bring it to me so I can eat it, that my soul may bless you, Esau, before I die. Now you pick that up. 
God has decreed, determined. He has said that it will be through Jacob that the blessing will go. And Isaac, coming to the last moments of his life, the last part of his life, has determined in his heart to bless Esau, the one that God has not blessed. Why? It seems like in the text, the, the storyteller says, because he wants the food. He loves the food. He wants the game. Now, where's Rebecca? Because we need somebody else to help us out here. Verse 5, what's Rebecca doing? She apparently also learned a little bit from her mother-in-law, from Sarah, because she's eavesdropping on the conversation. Verse 5, now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Verse 7, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food. See, the storyteller wants you to just keep hearing that. This is what's driving Isaac, so that I can eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. And so she says, son, you better listen to me. I'm going to give you some commands and you got to listen to me. You got to go get two young goats, bring them to me. I'm going to cook the delicious food that I know your father loves and you're going to take it into him so that he'll bless you, Jacob, instead of Esau. And Jacob is like, uh, but mama, uh, Esau is like a hairy beast. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a smooth man. Uh, I think if I go in there, dad's going to know. He's going to think I'm mocking him. And he's going to curse me and not bless me. And mama's like, you listen to your mama. If he curses you, it'll fall on me. But you got to do what I tell you to do. This is the plan. So Jacob does it, goes, gets the things, brings it to mom. She gets it all ready. She finds some of Esau's garments, puts them on Jacob, hopefully so that he'll smell like Jacob maybe. Then she takes some of the skins of those, I think those two young goats that uh, she's just been cooking up, takes some of the hairy skins, (coughs) puts them on Jacob's hands and on his neck. And I just got to think, man, what must Esau have looked like? I mean hairy goat skins all over your neck and your hands. I mean, Esau must have been uh, something to look at. So Jacob is all dressed up like, like Esau. He comes in, um, probably pushes him in. Get in there, son. He comes in. He says, hey, dad. And uh, this is in chapter 27, verse 18. And he said, Isaac says, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done what you said. Now sit up, eat of my game so you can bless me. But Isaac asks, I think he's a little suspicious, how'd you get it so fast? Jacob says, the Lord your God granted me success. And we think it's for a good reason Jacob has that name. (laughs) He is a deceiver. Then Isaac, still not convinced, says, get a little closer. I, you sound like Jacob, but I got, I gotta, you got to get a little closer here. Starts feeling around, feels his hairy goat hands. And he says, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he asks him outright, are you really my son, Esau? And Jacob says, I am. And so Isaac, in the climactic moment of his life, eats of the game, and then he goes to bless Jacob, convinced he's blessing 
Esau. And just listen to what he says and think about it. Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau when he says this. Verse 28, he says, May God give you the dew of heaven. Verse 29, Let the people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Isaac thinks he's saying that to Esau. What a failure. At the end of his life, cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. But even though Isaac is trying to bless the one that God has not blessed, God is working through this horrible scene and deceit to bring the blessing to Jacob. And as soon as Isaac is done, you can imagine Jacob is headed for the door. He's out of there. And he hardly gets out when Esau comes in with the food. And Esau says, oh, my father, I'm here. And, and Isaac is like, who are you? He says, well, I'm Esau. You're, you're firstborn. And Isaac then realizes what's happened. He realizes what he did. He realizes what Jacob did. And he's trembling violently. And he tells Esau, I, I gave the blessing to your brother. But to Isaac's credit, he finally says, and I cannot undo what I have done. Maybe Isaac realizes in those moments what he's done and that this is the will of God. And he submits to the will of God. But Esau is so angry He's so hurt, so he starts weeping and crying out, isn't there something for me? And Isaac basically tells him, there's not much left for you. And so Esau hates his brother in his heart, starts talking to himself about how he's going to murder his brother. Fortunately, Rebecca's really good at listening and finding out things, and she finds out that Esau wants to murder Jacob. And so she goes to Jacob, and she says, son, you've got to get out of here. You got to get out. You got to get down to my family because your brother is going to kill you. You got to go. Now you step back from this and you think, wow. You look at Rebecca. I mean, she's got her, she's got her bad, her trouble spots, right? I mean, not everything's great that she does in this, but she's the one when you compare her with Isaac that grasped the significance of of the line, of the blessings, of God's will in how he wants to work. And so she's done whatever she can, not just to get the blessing to Jacob, but also to protect Jacob from the threats of murder of her other son, Esau. But then you compare her with Isaac, and it's sad for Isaac, right? I mean, in the climax of his life, he, he intentionally tries to bless the one God has not blessed. He tries to thwart, it seems like, the plan of God. But one of the things we take away from this, beyond just that Rebecca seems to be much more concerned with the things that Abraham is concerned with, maybe the main thing we take away from this is that what God decrees will happen. No one, no thing, and no person, even one of our heroes, can thwart the plan of God. What God promises and what God decrees, that's what's going to happen. 